Welcome to Solo 2.0, an empowerment podcast hosted by two sisters living in LA, making their way through the health and wellness world. I'm Ryan Birch. And I'm Jess Dukan. Each week, we're committed to bringing you conversations with risk-taking, resilient guests from diverse backgrounds, interviews with experts on controversial or misunderstood topics that will expand your perspective, and lively roundtable discussions with our mom, hormone health educator, Candace Birch. We're driven to provide the support and motivation needed to ignite growth, confidence, and purpose so you can step into that 2.0 version of you. We can't wait to dig into these conversations and hope you'll join us every week for a new episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Solo 2.0 podcast. This is Jess, holistic health coach and founder of Body Blessed by Jess. And I'm Ryan, co-founder of Your Hormone Balance. We have Spicy Mari on the podcast today. She is the founder of The Spicy Life, and she is a magnetic matchmaker and relationship expert focused on encouraging individuals and couples to unlock the power of their passion in order to attract their purpose mate. So we can't wait to call her and get into all of our questions. We have, as usual, many of them for not only people in relationships, but also for those looking to date or maybe newly out of a relationship and not quite ready to date. Or wanting to get out of of a toxic relationship. Yeah, exactly. So in our new format, as we've been doing, before we call our guests, we want to share a little bit of our own experiences with this topic. And I'm really going to let Jess take the focus today because we know Spicy really focuses a lot on narcissists and helps people get out of toxic relationships. And Jess had this monumental relationship in her life that was four years with mm-hmm. classic narcissist. And she, since that time, and I had a front row seat to all of it, has just completely changed. You have completely changed the way that you are in relationships, mm-hmm. the way you stand up for yourself. And so it's been amazing and I was just praising the Lord the day you walked away from that relationship. But you've oh, learned yeah. so you've learned so much from it. So we thought it would be fun for her to share. So, so much, so fun, so much fun. <laughs> Get ready <laughs> to share kind of what happened and how you found your way out of it. Yeah, um, I dated a complete asshole for four years. He was <laughs> narcissistic. He was a cheater. He was just he was a sociopath, I believe. Um, but at the time I was a freshman in college, I had just gotten out of a short-term relationship, was actually not intending at all of getting into a serious relationship. I was definitely in party mode, trying to just meet as many people as possible. But for whatever reason, uh, we found each other actually through this really superficial group on Facebook (laughs) called the top 10 hottest guys and hottest girls of university of Oregon, which I guess there was that group at every college. But at this time I'm dating myself, but on Facebook, you could only friend people that went to your same school and you could only have like one profile photo. So whoever controlled that group decided who was, you know, going to, compete to be the top 10. So somehow I found him on there. I think he was number three and we started (laughs) chatting through AOL instant messenger because that's the way you had to communicate. And he was in a fraternity and I, after chatting for a long time, he actually was like, and this is why I think he's a sociopath. He was very charming, said all the right things, asked a lot of questions, really interesting, smart, all of the things. And so I finally, I remember the night that I went over and met him at his fraternity. We went and did some like fraternity event together and he was really great. 
and we hit it off and we had a lot of fun together and I just felt this instant connection to him. But one of the first red flags was that he didn't want to change the status on Facebook to in a relationship, which I know seems petty, but he didn't want to change it for eight months, even though we were spending every day together and most nights together and always calling, texting. And he just would say, well, I'm just not ready to be in a relationship, but basically you better not sleep with anyone else. And it was the point where if I would walk down campus and another guy said hello to me, he would just immediately look at me and be like, oh, why did he say hi to you? Did you fuck him? And I would say, no, he was in, he's in my biology class or like we worked on a project together and I was always trying to defend myself. And I never did that to him. I, I was never until I found out that he was cheating on me. I never questioned him about all of the girls that he was friends with. Mm. He had so many girlfriends and they were always just friends. And he always had an excuse like, oh, Taylor, no, we've been friends for 10 years. Or I just have a lot lot of girlfriends because they always come to me for dating advice because I give good advice. So girls would be calling him, you know, looking back at so many red flags. They call him at like 10 at night. Be like, oh, no, she just wanted advice about this guy that she's seeing. Oh. And and so part As of if me, he knew how to give any shred of relationship advice. Oh, exactly. Like, he's messing up your relationship if that's the truth. But guaranteed, that's not why they were calling him. <laughs> um, and if, if there's ever a sketchy call, he would always put it on them. Like, I don't know where that came from, you know. And um, he always had an excuse. I think he was like the master of excuses and they were usually pretty good that they would, you know, I was sold like, Oh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Or he would make me feel like classic narcissist that I was the one in the wrong. So if I would question him, he would say things like what I'm not allowed to have girlfriends. No, I'm, I've been friends with this girl for five years and we work on projects together and we have a connection and she has a boyfriend. Why are you even worried, you know? And, and so he would just always make me feel like I was the dumb one. And it was her fault for everything, Mm -hmm. even though you were always an angel and never did anything wrong. Seriously, just such a good partner and good person. And just like always, it literally worked on you. I mean, I guess this is how these toxic relationships Mm -hmm. work, but you would feel bad and you would apologize for stuff you literally didn't do wrong. Yeah. And Ryan and I, the other night, we went back through some old Facebook messages that I found, like Facebook chat, and they were so crazy. The things that he would say to me and the things that I would say back, and I would be so apologetic for anything. (laughs) And there was even a message where it alluded to the fact that we'd had a phone call where I said something about how the unconditional love I have with my family is not the same as the way I love him. And he basically got really upset that he thought I was saying, I don't love him as much as I love my family. And so in the message, I was like, I'm really upset that you hung up with hung up on me. I was just trying to explain that it's an unconditional type of love that I have for my family that can't be compared to you. The love I have for you is fire and passion. The kind of love where I just can't stop thinking about you and we're (laughs) apart. The kind of love where I'm writing, I'm trying to study for a test and all I can think about is you. <laughs> and it just so does not sound like me. Yeah, she was so corny. It was ridiculous. I mean, I'm sure if <laughs> any of us looked back at our texts and emails from those times, it would be so embarrassing. But it seriously doesn't sound like you at all. No, not at all. But also it's just the point that 
he made me feel so bad, clearly, Mm -hmm. that he hung up on me and I wrote him probably four paragraphs apologizing, explaining the difference between family love and love for him, which and also I have to do, and also because we had such a close family, it probably had something to do with the fact that like mom and dad always wanted us to be home at least like one night of the weekend, or mm-hmm. you had some, you wouldn't be able to do something with him. He and was he, also very jealous of our family love because he came from a broken home and he just really envied our family, and he would always tell me that too, mm-hmm. even after when we broke up. Especially, I just always wanted a family like yours. Ugh. And then, how about you? Didn't mention, but there was drug use and he had an addictive phase where he no I think he just is an addictive personality Mm, yeah because he would get addicted to he got addicted to drugs he when I broke up with him finally after four years he became addicted to me and became extremely obsessive and controlling and controlling yeah but yeah he I mean essentially in a nutshell he talked down to me always made me feel like I was less than always questioning, always saying things that basically said that I wasn't enough, um, would always comment on the clothing that I wore. If I wore a low cut shirt, he would say like, why are you, you know, you're attracting, you're asking for guys to want to screw you, you know, wear a t-shirt. And so I would start having to dress the way he wanted me to dress and for his eyes only, for his eyes only. Yeah. Could she ever show any skin? Yeah. And if I didn't respond to a text or a call, if I was out, you know, it was constantly questioning if I had slept with someone else, which is classic. Again, when you're cheating on someone, you're the one that becomes really insecure that they could do the same thing to you. Yeah. So I later found out throughout the years that, I mean, I don't know how many women he cheated me on me with, but I assume at least 10 because I found out about more and more and more. And even one of them, I would, I went over to his house and they were studying for a test and it looked like, and he was in a towel. He'd just gotten out of the shower and somehow he made an excuse where it's like, oh no, Katie was just going over the test, our answers. And I just had to take a quick shower and nothing's happening here, but we need to finish studying. I'll come over and spend the night later. And so he came over, spent the night, we slept with each other. And then I later found out that that night he had cheated on me with her. And then not to mention the way I found out was that his roommate, who was a girl at the time, is the one who told me that he cheated on me with the girl because she and I were friends. I later found out they had been hooking up. Mm Mm-hmm. And so it was just endless. And then he got into, you know, I think his partying drugs, like popping an Adderall here and there and drinking turned into more and more and more. So he became hooked on drugs and and well, that just... I think the thing I was going to say that was crazy was he was going downhill, couldn't pay his bills because it was all going to his addictions. Yeah. But then when he would F up really badly with Jess, he would then come out by her. He bought her a puppy, Riley who is the most amazing puppy who my parents ended up needing to take in because she was in college. She couldn't care for a puppy. She tried for a year or so, but it wasn't supposed to have dogs at the house. It wasn't a good environment for a puppy. And then another time he brought, he bought you God, just like really expensive gifts, but he couldn't pay his bills. She was having to pay for Mm -hmm. dinner. She was having to sometimes cover his car bill or different things. And it was just like that kind of erratic behavior is just obviously such a red flag. Oh, yeah. I mean, there was one time where he cheated on me and I found out and then he knew I had a big test I was studying for. So he walked through the library where it's 
silent and there's hundreds of students studying with a huge bouquet of tropical flowers and brought them to the table where I was studying and left them there. And then did that work on you? Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it did because then afterwards we had this whole conversation, this whole heart to heart. I'm going to change. I love you, blah, blah, blah. There's no one else in the world. I just, you know, it's, I have these issues and whatever it is. Like he always had an excuse, a reason, a way he was going to do better. He would give me like a laundry list of things that he was going to do and the reasons why he loved me and how he could never do better than me. And, and he would just get so emotional and it was crazy. I mean, he would just completely shatter my trust and then reel me back in Mm -hmm. and caught in the web. Yeah. And then there was a trip that you can just kind of like briefly explain. Oh yeah. Just really crazy. I found out through my close friend in college that her stepsister had gotten with him. So Mm -hmm. this was the first time this was actually, I think the first time you actually found out he had cheated on you because all of these other things you're talking about, you found out years later. later from people that told you. But this was like my friend who told me and he would have never known it would have gotten back to us because part of him getting away with stuff was because he was up in Portland and we were down in Eugene at school and you didn't always know what he was up to. But yeah, I found out and um, there was a reason I didn't tell Jess right away. I think I was still trying to, I needed to make sure that it was true. I was still confirming that. And we had a family trip planned with her ex and well, he, she was, they were still together. And on that trip, he, you know, I hadn't told Jess yet for, a, I can't remember exactly why not, but there was a good reason. And we went on this trip and my best friend Joy was on it and we were, we rode up together and the whole time, I mean, I'm sure people by now understand what kind of guy he is, but like, he was just talking shit to her the whole time, telling her how stupid she was, like correcting her driving stuff. And I'm just fuming in the backseat, like taking my notes. Like I already knew that I hated the way he talked to her. I constantly told you that I didn't like that. I just feel so bad that you had to be on the trip that whole time, knowing what he had done and not being able to say anything. I couldn't even smile at him. Like it was, I, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do because like Joy and I told Joy, I think, and so like the two of us knew, and we were just fuming the whole trip. Everything he de- did and said, we were just like, Mother "Well, I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but mom and dad just really liked him, and they had this like connection with him, but they also knew that he was broken, and so there was like a point where he was like massaging my back. I still remember it, and mom was like, "Oh, that's so sweet, the way he was massaging your back," and I could just tell on your face you were just, you were just like, <laughs> "Are you?" kidding me (laughs) well at that point he couldn't do anything right and to top it off he was even worse than normal on that trip so it was like oh my god I can't wait to tell Jess so once I fully confirmed I had the right sources and information I for some reason (laughs) took me out of lunch took her out to lunch to tell her on the lake Oh my God, it was horrible. She, of course, was fe- like so upset, called him crying, called him screaming, I actually. ran from the table ran to from the, the table tree and yeah. like, broke down like yeah. under the tree crying. I was like, we're going to need the bill and <laughs> yeah. let's wrap this up. So we, then she demanded I drive her to his place immediately and like had it out with him and mm-hmm. grabbed all of her stuff. But fast forward, I mean, yeah, that happened. She found out about it, but... I got back together. She got back together with him time and time again. Mm -hmm. And it kept being like this cycle that you couldn't get out of. And it got even worse because I would have all these insecurities knowing that he had cheated on me. So I would say things like, wow, that's so interesting. I just noticed there's a photo of you and me next to your bed. So what did you do when she was here? Did you turn it over? Mm. And he would be like, stop talking about it. 
stop talking about it. We're never going to move past it if you don't stop talking about it. And now it's your fault again. Yeah. And then he's like, just stop, stop. And we get so angry. And he's like, I'm going to leave if you don't. And so then he would get angry and he would leave. Yeah. And then it was my fault. And then I would be apologizing. Yeah. Like, oh, sorry. You know, I will. I'll work on it. Mm -hmm. Whatever. Yeah. it just so how did so you get out toxic. of it and how did you get from where you were <sighs> to this loving relationship you're in now? I mean, essentially I just, I think it was just, there was a straw that broke the camel's back. I think a lot of it was the drug addiction. He came down to my apartment and started detoxing on my couch with my roommate and was just talking down to me the whole time and my roommate. And it was just terrible. He made me drive him back to Portland to get more drugs, which what am I doing but I didn't know how to say no. He was freaking out. I mean, these things I would do that I just don't even like recognize myself. But I finally, I kind of actually the night I decided, cause I didn't believe in cheating. I was like, if I kiss this guy that I'm interested in, then I have to break up with Ian. So I kissed mm-hmm. the guy and then I broke up with him the next day. So I guess technically I cheated, but um, you just needed to get excited about someone else yeah. and realize and remember that there are other fish in the sea and much nicer, friendlier. I think that's what it was. It was this guy. Fish. It was never anything serious, but he treated me like an equal. We had fun together. He talked to me the way that I deserved to be spoken to. We could and be goofy together. Yeah, yeah. Our friends all loved each other. We had like this big crew of friends and it was just like, this is obviously not the person I'm going to be with or want to be in a relationship with next, but it made me feel good. Yeah. And so I proceeded to have like this year and a half of just like fun, like dating, not really just, I guess, hanging out, you would say, um, in college. And it was the year after college as well. And I just really worked on myself. And I talked about this in the body image episode with Tessie, the specific tools that I took and steps that I took to grow my confidence. So you could go back to that episode to listen to the things that I did, but it truly was just a year of growth and confidence and doing exactly what I wanted to do and remembering and just reminding myself that I'm a catch that I deserve more and that I will not tolerate, um, being with somebody who treats me that way. Mm-hmm. And I just, I knew the red flags to look out for. And I think ever since then, I mean, from the moment I've been with Josh, I have been myself a hundred percent myself. And that I never felt like I could be a hundred percent myself in four years. I felt like I could be a hundred percent myself the day I met Josh That's amazing. because he always made me feel that I could be myself. Mm-hmm. And he's always been able to be himself around me. And that's something that I always craved. I was like, what is it like to be in a relationship? I would see other couples that just seemed like they were authentically themselves. And I just would yearn for that. And they could say what they wanted, you know, and be who they were. And, and now I have that. And obviously there's challenges and there's things that we've had to work through, but I know that I'm with my partner in crime. So, Mm -hmm. but a lot of it is the self-work I would say. Yeah. And, and I will say too, you were kind of a serial dater. Like Jess always had boyfriends. I, other than Thomas, I only had a boyfriend in high school for eight months, (laughs) which is funny that you say Ian wouldn't even commit for eight months. So that was like the entirety of my other um, relationship, but yeah, you were always with people. And so I do think a lot of your growth happened when you stopped being just exclusively with somebody exactly. and you had your fun and you developed this independence and you really got clear on who you are mm-hmm. and what your match would be, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. I really admired that about you. Cause you weren't in a lot of relationships. Cause you actually, I think you always kind of knew 
like what was important to you and it, you didn't need, I think I, a lot of times was just looking for the validation from men that like, Oh, you're pretty. Oh, you're smart. Oh, you're this rather than trying to find it within myself. Mm-hmm. And so when I had that year and a half, I was finally able to do that for myself and I've never felt more happy and empowered and excited. And it truly is when people would always say, when, you know, you know, or like, you're going to meet the person when you're not looking, when you least expect it. And I'd be like, Hey, that's bullshit. And then that's exactly what happened. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. And I will say, I honestly never liked anybody really, even my other boyfriend. I never, I didn't truly like him. Thomas is the first person I genuinely liked ever, Mm -hmm. which is crazy. Like really liked, but I will also say with him, when I first met him, he was a frat boy and he was a playboy and he tried to be a little bit controlling with me as he had clearly been with other girlfriends and that's not me and that wouldn't work. And I shut it down and I would say like, you people can change, you know, and, yes. and we have grown together, grown up together, you know, basically we've been together since I was 21. But if, if there had been someone that would have taken that, that relationship wouldn't be a healthy one, but oh, it was, yeah. it's healthy for us because I'm not putting up with any. Oh, you're not the one to try that <laughs> stuff on. Like you, yeah. you have always been good at speaking your mind. And that's the last thing I'll say before we go into this episode is that yeah. Rye is the queen at having the hard conversations with people that need to be had And for the most part, being able to move past them in a healthy way because you get it out there on the table and it's not like you did this. It's truly just, I don't know. You just have this gift of communicating in a way that needs to happen that can sometimes be direct and to me has been really scary sometimes. Like, how does she do that? How is she so direct with those people? Because I'm always afraid of what people are going to think or saying the wrong thing. But you say it in such a way that I feel like almost all of your relationships have been strengthened or they've ended because they needed to end. Yeah, mostly it works, but that's just, you know, there's different forms of communication. And that's what we're excited to talk to Spicy about today, because for me, it's not always the best to get it out verbally with someone. Sometimes I've had to write letters. Sometimes it's Mm -hmm. Thomas and I might text when we're fighting because we're not speaking well, and then we keep our distance. And then when we're calmed down, we can have a better conversation. So a lot of it is just feeling out the moment, the person, the communicate communication strategy that will work best. I think I had one time recently where hard conversation didn't go over well. And I think timing and different factors were there, but to your point, yeah, it just, it needed to happen at the same time mm-hmm. for me to see whether or not our relationship should continue. But Enough about us. Hopefully, um, this conversation will be super helpful for you no matter where you are at in your life. As I said, we're going to be giving Spicy a call right now, but quick bio on her. I mentioned she's a magnetic matchmaker and relationship expert, but we also wanted to share that she is the CEO of the Spicy Life Inc., a relationship consulting firm, and she has mastered the method of fueling deep connections. With a BA in communications from the University of California, Berkeley, and an MA in communication from USC, she is truly a pro. She also has a dating certification from the International Dating Coaching Association, and she has been on tons of shows like ABC, Access Hollywood, E, VH1's Basketball Wise, BuzzFeed. So we are buzzing to call her and get her insights, and we're going to give her a call right now. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm doing fantastic. Happy to be chatting with you ladies. Welcome to the show. We've been looking forward to this all week. And we were actually, right before we called you, we were just talking about our own past 
relationships, particularly, this is Jess, my narcissistic, crazy ex that I was with for four years, all basically my entire college career. <laughs> and so we're, well, I'm personally really excited to get your insights and tips, but I know all of our listeners are too on relationships, touching on narcissists, and then also to learn about your spicy fundamentals. Beautiful. Okay. Excited to talk about this. Um, so where are we beginning? Let's go. Yes. <laughs> so before we get into all of the juiciness and the spiciness, and this is part of the spiciness, we want to find out when you realized that you had a gift for matchmaking and how you were able to turn it into a career, because honestly, matchmaking, I always say if this whole health coaching thing doesn't turn out for some reason. I don't see it going south, but if it does, my next up in line would be a matchmaker. So I want to hear all the <laughs> Okay. So I learned very early on at a very young age that I had a gift. Um, my mother was a single parent who was in multiple relationships. And every time she was in a relationship, I was like five or six paying attention to this lifestyle where when she was in relationship, she was happier. She was more glowing. She was nicer to me. Um, I didn't call it disposable income at the time. It was more just like more toys. Um, uh, I noticed like fine dining, like I got to experience everything she got to experience because I was her partner in crime. So I started to associate these relationships that she were in as like, Oh, relationships are good. We have more. And mom is happier when she's in relationships. So I started pitching her when we would go out, I'm like at the gas station, I'm at the grocery store, I'm at Chuck E. Cheese, and I'm like going up to men because I also like want a dad. And I'm like, this is a win-win for all of us. Like, look how pretty my mom is. I'm a good little girl. You're like inheriting this family. And my mom was scoring dates left and right to the point where she was like married three times. And yeah. And like now my mom's on like, you know, person number, like she's, she's going to have another husband. Like she's on um, her um, boyfriend right now. And I already know, like, it's going to be, you know, big for them. Mm-hmm. So mom has no problems like getting dates, but I loved the process of like scouting on her behalf to the point where I did it with family. I did it with friends all throughout my childhood. I did it throughout college and I had a natural knack for it. But one thing that my mother reminded me of is like, you seeing the value of relationships, you're going to put so much emphasis into like relationships for yourself. I need you to be educated in this. So going to school, um, I went to UC Berkeley for communication, and then I went to USC to get my master's in communication, all the while having a radio show on relationships where I'm giving out advice, but now studying at the same time, um, social behavior, psychology, um, the behavioral sciences behind like what makes healthy relationships. And of course, the number one breakdown is communication. And now living in this um, digital age, where everything we do, you know, is virtual when it comes to communication, now being able to like apply those tools and helping my clients with how to become more effective at, you know, sending and receiving messages so that that way they can attract their purpose mates has um, been, it's been so helpful. It's helped tremendously, but staying like also at the breast of technology and understanding how these tools work while also understanding interpersonal development and why that's so necessary and how that's getting lost now with us not having as much in-person communication. So reprogramming has been a huge part of my program, but understanding like I have the power of connection. I now also have the power of motivation and influence and being able to like guide people down a path that serves their relationship goals 
has been a part of the bigger mission, which is to restore the family unit mm. and pretty much end and break generational curses of just, you know, disrupted family homes where their children now too are looking at their parents, you know, trying to figure it out where like, if I can coach you and help prepare you for that, you don't have to be that little kid looking for a daddy and you don't have to be that little, you know, girl, like I was trying to set your mom up. Like mom now will have the tools to know what she needs. Dad will now have the tools to know what he needs if they just come and get the help that they need. Oh, that's wonderful. Breaking the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And you can cut me off at any time because I know I, I talk a lot. Okay. So <laughs> I speak for a living. So I'm already like, transparent. <laughs> Your, your experience is, is, is so layered. It's very impressive. And one of the things that you really talk about a lot, your per- helping people find their purpose mate is a term I haven't heard before. And I love that. And I, you know, I love talking about writing about finding your purpose and career and happiness, but never put it that way for relationships. So can you define for our audience what that means in a relationship to find your purpose mate? Yeah. So I think, um, you're clear on like what your purpose is, right? So when it comes to understanding how you're serving the universe and what your mission is and like the tasks at hand that are presented in front of you, we think of purpose as like, what's our calling, what we put on this earth to do. Um, and how does it, how do we give back through that? When it comes to your purpose, mate, this person has to be someone who's in alliance with that, right? You guys have similar goals, shared interests, and at the center of it all, core values that mirror one another. Now, these core these core values can be somewhat different, but they need to be respected. Your core values have to be honored by your partner. And when it comes to your purpose mate, this is the person who's walking in their purpose. While you're walking in your purpose, both of you guys have a similar mission in mind or at least complement each other's mission. And you'll do anything that it takes to support your partner along that journey because you understand that it's bigger than you guys. You understand that the the role that you play in each other's life will help catapult, not from a career standpoint, because that is a part of it, right? Like we want to be successful in our careers, but when we think about our purpose, it's really how we give back. And that may be, we may use our career as a, a vessel for that, but it may be in your hobbies. It may be in your philanthropic work. It may be in, you know, how you give to the community, but whatever it is, that is your purpose, like what you're striving to do, your purpose may supports that and understands that like, that's the bigger picture. It's not always about just us as an individual It's about us as a team and we'll do whatever it takes to like build this empire together. Mm. So they're in agreement and in alliance with the bigger picture, the mission. I love that so much. And it's so much easier to achieve your purpose when you have that partner and who is in the ride with you. Although I will say I've been with my partner for 11 years, just about the same. And, you know, it's, there were so many places in our lives where we weren't at the, we were at different pages Mm -hmm. and and there were definitely, I would say months where we would fight or have to work through things to come to the same page, but we always would eventually. And then we've been able to get through these things like him going through law school or me quitting my job and starting over, you know, and just being on completely different paths. But so how do you help people that like, you know, you know, you're in a relationship with someone that's, that's solid and you know, you love each other so much, but you hit these phases or places in life where you're just not on the same page and you, you really can't see eye to eye. How do you work through those things? Cause I would say it was, it was hard for us. And I would say, I think communication is one of my strong suits. So for people that aren't strong in that area, that can be 
a make or break place? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's a great question. Cause I don't measure relationships either by like the butterflies, the happy go lucky moments, the, um, fond memories. I measure the health of a relationship by conflict resolution. So when you're presented with, um, challenges in your relationship, right? Like things come up, crazy situations come up with family, friends, work. Like there's all these things that get thrown at you in your life that can throw you off, right? Even a change in like deciding your career path or children, or, um, just, you know, you got to take care of family members. Like there's so many things, finances, so many things that are thrown at you. It's more of, um, how do we handle these situations and what's our strategy? What's our game plan when I'm affected by you or when what you do as a decision-making, um, completely changes the game or changes the structure of what we set out to do. Mm -hmm. Or maybe you're lost or you're dating someone who doesn't necessarily know clearly what they want to do. Where do we go from here? How do we get through this? Or maybe today you just hurt my freaking feelings. Um, how do we get through this? Right. It doesn't have to always be the biggest things. Sometimes it's the small things. Like I didn't hear from you and I needed the love today. So Mm -hmm. how we work through those is what I like to do is, is set up like in our relationships, a game plan, a a strategy set around an action plan where you both decide, okay, when we're dealing with conflict, this is how we're going to get through it. This is how we're going to support one another. And it often needs to be centered around you coming together in the relationship when you guys are both at peace, not when you're in the middle of the conflict, but when you're both at peace coming up with what the relationship goals are. So I like to give my clients an exercise of um, breaking up your relationship goals by three months, one year, three years, and then a lifetime, okay? You break it up by those different time periods and the goals that you guys want to achieve together during those periods or the goals that you want to achieve independently, right? So you make your list of independent, this is what I want to do on my own, and these are the goals that I have for our relationship and what I want to do with you. So what happens is when you get into these fights or you're like, you hurt my feelings today, or you know, um, your mom's, your my mother-in-law's getting on my nerves, or um, you know, you're spending too much, you're, you're spending too much on the credit card. When you decide that like you're in the middle of these fights or these challenges and you guys aren't on the same page, maybe one of them is presenting going back to school and you're like, how are we going to afford this? This is not in the game. You guys have to go back to, okay, what are our goals? What are the relationship goals that we set? And is, does my response to you in this moment serve the goal? If my response doesn't serve the goal that we set out to do, then I need to handle this a different way that serves the goal. And I don't think we do enough looking at self I think we do a lot of like pointing the finger at our partner where our partner is or isn't a lot of criticism on them, a lot of judgment on them versus looking at how we show up and what we could be doing in responsibility for ourselves in the relationship. And when both of you guys are doing that for yourselves, like now you're working as a team coming together and saying, look, I'm taking care of me and you're taking care of you. But at the same time, we're coming together to make sure both of our needs are met. We're doing this pursuit together and this process together versus you pointing it and blaming me and me, you know, pointing the finger at you and, you know, critiquing you for what you're not doing. Does that make sense? Yeah. I actually, this is kind of coming at an interesting time because my husband and I have started to talk about like, how can we have better communication? Cause we work craziness throughout the week and he works a lot of nights and things like that. Um, he actually does like some virtual teaching. And so there'll be things that, you know, really irritate me. And I feel like I try to communicate well, but sometimes it just comes out in the heat of the moment. And it's not like the one you didn't take out the trash. It's like the last 10 things that you did that annoyed me just like came out in this like 
flurry of words and it's like an attack, you know, and it doesn't happen often, but when it does, you know, we work through it, we talk through it, we get through it. But what we started to implement is on Sundays, we sort of have like this weekly recap where, and we just started this where it's like, okay, one positive, like one thing that I appreciated that you did this week. And then one thing that, you know, we want to work on, or like, we would hope that like, maybe you could work on, or that hurt my feelings or something and just kind of get it up and talk about it right then. And then one thing that we can work on as a couple. So I'm kind of wondering, cause it's been working well, but I also have noticed there's weeks where he's like, Oh no, I don't have anything bad to say about you. This is funny to me. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I like- it's basically once a week, let's talk shit to each other. Well, not talk shit, well, but it's more like to your point earlier, we like in the heat of the moment, I'm trying not yeah, to yeah. say anything. Yeah. I yeah. Get it. Yeah. I get it. You know Especially what I mean? Since you're being so what we call like passive aggressive, right? Where you're not, you're dumping all of these things at once versus like maybe sharing as you go along. But then the problem with sharing as you go along is it looks like you're nagging him 10 times versus one mm-hmm. big time. So both of kind of like are damned if you do, damned if you don't. Um, But I like your suggestion. What I do is, of course, like spice that up a little bit. Yeah, I'm like, Um, spice it up. (laughs) That's my question. I I, I spice up your exercise with um, what I call the spicy tip jar. And this is where I suggest to couples, um, and I do this with my husband as well, because I am my own guinea pig, he will tell you, um, you get one affirmation to give each other a week. And you put that in the jar. You also get one new sexual position or freaky thing that you want to try with your partner that you saw maybe on TV, or maybe you learned it in a magazine or your friend told you about it, right? Like the cowgirl position. I don't know, whatever, you know, your thing is your fetish. Um, Maybe you want to dress up. Maybe you want to try, you know, some whipped cream. You throw that in the jar. Both of you get an opportunity to throw, you know, whatever that passion is that you want to try in the jar. And then the third thing that you put in there is the constructive criticism, the thing that you want them to work on that you need more, you know, you, you, can you please work on not throwing the towels on the floor so much, Mm -hmm. or can you please, you know, help me more with the laundry or can you please, you know, work on calling me back when you say you are, whatever that thing is, we don't want to be nagging during the week. And we don't want to bring the energy down when you've had a long day and you want to just come home to your oasis, to your relaxation and to what should be like your vacation from the hardships of your day to, you know, the laundry list of like all the things that you've done wrong, where you failed. And so if you put these three things in the jar, now you and your partner have something to look forward to. And you also will switch it up and not know what you're going to get that week. So when you pull out the tip at the end of the week, it's on Friday, you guys pull out a tip together. So maybe he pulls out the affirmation and you pull out like the freaky position or the new restaurant you want to try or the activity that you guys want to do, but you each get to pull one out and each week it switches up because you've been putting different things in there, but you never know what you're going to get. So that way you're not like waiting for the drear. Like it may be something great as well. It may be Uh something fun. There's a reward waiting for you or an affirmation letting you know how great you are. So that's just how that's my spin on it. How you, um, you know, get those spicy tips flowing and you get to have more fun with your partner in the constructive criticism versus just pouring and dumping on them. Oh yeah. I mean, a thousand percent, my husband will respond much better. (laughs) (laughs) There has to be something in it for them, right? Like it can't just be like the highs and lows, which I absolutely love. I make my clients give me that even after dates or like my husband and I do those with each other on our days, but 
what you really, when you, when you have some problems or some things you have to work on, like perception is everything and knowing your audience is everything. And your husband is your audience. Like he's the receiver. So one thing that we make as a mistake as women is we instantly want to like tell them about themselves. We want to tell them what's wrong. And I do believe in being um, direct with certain things, but not everything, certain things. I think that we need to um, really think about like who they are as a person and how they're going to receive that information. And oftentimes what happens is we tell them what's wrong with them and it goes against their ego. It goes against who they believe themselves to be. So if we say, like, if your husband thinks that he's a leader or a master communicator, and then you go and you tell him like you suck at communication, he's going to receive that as you're crazy. You don't know what you're talking about. You're just complaining about me and I don't trust your judgment because that goes against my ego and how I see myself. And so you've lost your audience because he no longer trusts your position. And if all you do is complain, now he also thinks that like, well, this is just the way that you are versus us building it as a sandwich when we do want to address things with him and telling him how amazing he is asking permission. Can you work on this thing? And once again, let me remind you how amazing you are. Does that make sense? I'm I'm just speaking to the male ego right now. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that that is so important. And I feel like too, a lot of times when you're trying to communicate something that someone's done, that's either hurt you or is making you feel a certain way. It's like, there is this tone of blame Mm -hmm. of who did this to me. And of course, someone's going to be defensive in that moment. And so I think reframing just how you say things is really important. Yeah. Yeah. I think exactly that. Um, I actually, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on the love languages. Like, is that something that you subscribe to or that you think it's important to know each other's love languages? Oh my God. Absolutely. I think that the love languages are super important when it comes to feeding your partner's need. However, I'm also a huge believer that we should be trying to tackle all five of them. Okay. So, (laughs) so, and here's why, um, I think that we get, stuck in a routine of thinking like, okay, this is my partner's long language and I'm going to feed this, um, and not cover the other ones because this is their love language. When I think that people need more attention and more behavioral responses than what they admit to. And the second element is that I think people are very unclear on how to express their needs. So I think it's one thing to say, my love language is quality time. I think it's another thing to say, my love language is quality time, babe. And it looks like you going hiking with me. It looks like you going to this baby shower with me, even though I know you don't want to go to, you know, my girl Andrea's baby shower. It looks like you um, holding my hand when we're walking through the grocery store and just sharing with me your day. Like we're not doing enough of this is what it looks like for me. We're just over dinner when we're first dating or in a relationship telling them this is my love language and then hoping that they figure it out or that they're so observant and so in tune with us that they know what it looks like for us. And we don't communicate that enough, what those expectations are. I call them love expectations. And Mm so when we don't tell our partner what the love expectations are, they're just throwing darts, hoping that they make it and hit the mark. And then when they don't, we circle back and we're like, ah, I can't believe you didn't get me orchids. You know, I know I love orchids. Why would you bring me red roses? I haven't loved red roses since college. And they're like, what? And the way that they interpret it is, oh, I didn't hit the mark. I messed up. I'm going to fall back because I don't like the way that it makes me feel when I don't hit the mark. 
And so rather than continue making an effort and failing, they're now going to make less effort. So it does us a disservice to not share with them what it looks like for us. Mm-hmm. Like they're being put to the test, which is yeah. It's kind of like what what a lot of women and I I I say women. I mean, some men might probably do it too. But Valentine's Day and and holidays, yep. like, you're just like waiting and you don't say anything, but it's actually going to really bump you out <laughs> if you don't say something. Mm. So you're just waiting for them to fail, basically. And then, oh my god! And then yes. whole holiday into a nightmare when it's like you could just communicate. Okay, Valentine's Day is coming up. Here's what I would think, you know, this might be how we could speak my love language. Like, what, how do you envision me speaking your love language? Something yes. like that. Yeah. Yes. Getting You're specific. on the money. Exactly. Yeah. I think clarity around that. Because I think that we put too much on the other person to just know. We just expect for them to just know. Like, well, mm-hmm. you saw me, you know, buy that orchid that one time. How did you not know that that's what I love? And it's like, no, I'm not that tapped in as you think. I'm thinking about, like, how to protect, provide, and, like... <laughs> progress. I'm not necessarily paying attention to all the things that you being in your natural, beautiful essence as a woman need 24 seven. And we take that as like the audacity, you know, like we, I love your example about Valentine's day. Cause that's always a crazy holiday for me. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, people are either trying to come to me before um, Valentine's day to find love or right afterwards because they're going through a breakup. Cause he, you know, he or she didn't meet expectations and now they, you know, need to move on. Um, or they never want to spend another Valentine's day alone. Like that's always a huge, um, period for me, January and February, especially after the new years. Mm-hmm. But it's crazy because people really do have these expectations that they don't share. Um, I personally tell my partner every holiday that matters to me and what my expectation is, or I plan it for us so that the need is still getting met. Right. If I want a birthday party, I'm not putting that on my husband to plan for me. I'm going to plan it and ask him to show up so that I can guarantee my fun. Yeah, yeah I do that too. We're not going to hold him responsible for that. <laughs> yeah, I am such a planner. Now I'm like, okay, this is exactly what we're doing. He's like, all right, I'll be there. I love it. Right? <laughs> yeah. Right? That's perfect. I love that you're doing that. That's like mm-hmm. absolutely every man's dream. <laughs> like, just tell me where to show up. Dropping hints and setting expectations mm-hmm. and being specific. Those are all great. Well, I want to sw- switch gears a little bit just because this is such great advice for those of us in relationships, um, but also for those in healthy relationships, because as we know, you know, a lot of partners won't respond as well to wanting to do an activity that improves your communication or, you know, we're dealing, a lot of people are dealing with narcissists or toxic Mm -hmm. people. So I want to get into that, but let's switch over to those that are looking for love. And you mentioned so many people have, you know, come to you on the holidays and looking for help. How do you get started with clients, um, using your spicy fundamentals? We want to know how you help people find that purpose match. Beautiful. So, um, love that you tossed it to the fundamentals. Cause that's everything. Those are my five ingredients of what you need to have a healthy relationship. And I came up with those through my master's program of like all of the research and studies that I did that what people need in order to have a healthy relationship is self, right? Self awareness, self-regulation, self-love, a high sense of self-worth, um, and extreme self-esteem. And then when it comes to passion, that's the P and that's the second fundamental. They need to have passion in their life, shared activities, hobbies, um, that they enjoy, but that they can also teach to a partner. Then the next phase is intimacy. And that deals with you being able to create a bond. How do you guide, um, the person who you are attracted to? How do you guide their emotions? How do you guide their behaviors, their psyche? How do you guide them and create a deep connection of vulnerability with them? 
And then the next phase of the fundamentals is communication, where how do you communicate this message? How do you deliver the message that you want them to receive? Are you the sender? Are you the receiver? Which one do you do better? And then what's the platform that you've chosen to send this message on? And then the last part is learning to say yes. That's the why in spicy. And that yes deals with your belief system. Like, what do you believe you can actually attain? What do you believe that the universe has in store for you? What limiting beliefs do you have? Are you dating with an abundant mindset or a scarcity mindset? And what beliefs aren't serving you anymore that we need to get rid of so that we can start saying yes to the things that we actually want to attract and to love? And are you willing to negotiate and sacrifice things that aren't serving you so that you can get what you want? So those are the five fundamentals. And the way that I start my program off is, of course, making you start with self, right? Like self is the beginning. So anytime I'm working with a client, I immediately go into like, who are they? What do they want? And what do they have to offer? That's like the beginning phase that we start with. And a lot of people, when they describe that, if they can even describe that, instantly go to their 30-second elevator pitch when it comes to work, but don't have one when it comes to what they have to offer a partner. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I I wanted to zero in on the scarcity versus abundant mindset because I think that can really keep people back from, you know, letting in the love they deserve. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Yeah. So I think that there's um, energy influencers out there, right? I attribute the energy influencers to the, your genetic predisposition, right? Your, your family DNA, then the upbringing and the environment that you were brought up in. And then the next component, the relationships that you've experienced. So all three of those things really form your thoughts and beliefs around relationships, which affect your mindset, which affect your energy. So when you are dealing with maybe a lack thereof, um, or you've come from a background where maybe you didn't have a great example of a relationship, or you've been in past relationships that you've been hurt, um, dealt with toxicity. Um, you guys mentioned um, uh, dealing with narcissists. Like you've, de- you've dealt with these type of you know bad relationships where you've been hurt. You start to operate in a mindset that there aren't any good people out there. There isn't enough. I've lived in this city for so long, and all the good ones are taken or um, I'm only going to be hurt again, or the moment someone does something, it triggers you to say, see, I knew it. I knew that all you know, guys or girls did this to me. And so you start to believe that there's not enough. And you start to convince yourself in the conversations that you have with yourself that on a daily basis, you're telling yourself um, there's not enough. It's not there for me, or it doesn't exist. And so what I call those are like low vibrating thoughts. When you speak negatively to yourself, that maybe you're not good enough, or there's not good enough people in the world, you start to deal in a mindset that operates in a low vibration. Now, the opposite of that would be speaking to yourself in a positive, high vibrating thought, saying that there's abundance of people out there. There's um, the person who you want exists because you exist. Um, Speaking to yourself and having conversations about... um, you know, I didn't, I didn't hear from him and that's making me, you know, feel less than that's the low vibration, but the higher vibrating self would say, I know that I'm worthy of healthy communication and I'm going to get that one way or another, even if it's not with this person, I know my purpose mate awaits, right? So it's a completely different conversation, the conversation where you're talking down to yourself and what we call it like the same age as affirmations. But the reason why, um, these are more powerful than affirmations is because, Affirmation is just positive talk to yourself, like positive things that you say, 
Whereas I like to get more into the headspace of headspace of actually giving yourself things that you actually believe and can wrap your head around. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Can you give an example of one? Um, so an example of a low vibrating thought, and I use myself as a guinea pig all the time. <laughs> um, a low vibrating thought would be, um, I'm, I'm overweight and no one is going to want me while I'm overweight. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a low vibrating thought because I definitely gained this quarantine 20. Okay. A higher vibrating thought would be, oh no, I'm at the perfect weight. Everybody loves me at this weight when I'm overweight of 25 pounds. The problem with that higher vibrating thought, because it's the positive thought, but is that I don't really believe that positive thought. I do not believe that I am beautiful (laughs) and that I am phenomenal at this overweight 20 pounds. I don't like the way that I look in the mirror. So me telling myself that every single day isn't going to convince myself because I don't freaking believe it. That's not how I was raised. That's not the environment I was brought up in. I'm already predisposed to obesity. And what did I say? Relationships. Relationships have also shown me that I'm less successful when in relationships when my I'm overweight because my esteem is low, right? So I can't get around that. I can't believe that higher vibrating thought. What I believe is the higher vibrating thought that you can believe. Stop lying to yourself or telling yourself the affirmation that you don't believe. So a higher vibrating thought would be, um, I know that I'm beautiful and worthy of treating myself healthy. You know what? I'm going to work out and treat my body the way that it deserves. That's a higher vibrating thought. And I actually do believe that thought because if I go work out and I put my butt on the treadmill, it actually gives me the results that I want. And I do believe myself to be a beautiful person. I can get with that. But what I'm not going to do is lie to myself about the belief. So then what does that in turn do? It makes me think the higher vibrating thought and then go do the higher vibrating behavior, mm-hmm. which is getting my butt on the treadmill. And I feel all of the endorphins and everything that you know makes me feel like I burned a sweat. Now I'm releasing and I feel better about myself after that. And I continue to do that higher vibrating thought that I believe and that higher vibrating behavior. And now I'm getting the results that I want that I can actually support versus lying to myself and just being complacent with what someone would call the affirmation when the affirmation doesn't necessarily serve me. I believe in the affirmations that you believe that serve you. Is that making sense to you? Yes. Yeah, definitely. And all of that breeds confidence, which you need. When Correct. You get there, so. Well, and I have one more <laughs> question to that example. So for someone, just because I'm a health coach, so I think about it in terms of, I have a lot of clients who, who will say like, I, you know, I won't find love or I don't really want to put myself out there to find my person until I've lost the 30 pounds or whatever it is. And so maybe they do, you know, start to work out and eat better and, do all the self-care, but yet they're still sort of like waiting until they get, you know, that 30 pounds off. And maybe that takes six months or a year. So what do you do during that time to still put yourself out there? Because you are worthy of love where you are now too. Great, great question. Right. Cause I deal with that on the relationship and I love that you're helping them with their, um, health goals. I'm helping them with like their emotional and mental health goals when it comes to that preparation. So love that. Definitely. We'll send people your way. Um, when they share with me, um, that. <laughs> but like the reason why that's so important is because people think that we have to reach this level of perfection or this level of, you know, self-actualization before we're worthy of love. Absolutely false. 
Um, what I like to tell my clients is that while they're in the process of working on themselves, they should still be putting themselves out there because you still have to build the experience and also your muscles. And when I say muscles, I'm talking to rejection muscles, right? Mm -hmm. Because the more that you put yourself out there, the more you're exposed to the word no, but the more that you are exposed to the word no, or like you receive the, you get the dating experience, you learn what you like, what you don't like, what serves you, what doesn't. And while you're in the process of sharing and doing all of these things, proving to the universe that you really want to be healthier, or you really do want to be more sexually attractive, you're also putting yourself out there to get more experience in learning, not just about yourself, but building the rejection muscle of like, for every 10 no's that I get, I do get a yes. And so it, it desensitizes you to the rejection component and you start to understand like, oh, this is just a part of the process. I have to go on 10 job interviews before I land like the dream job. And so I believe in doing the work in the process versus like, I'm not going to apply to any jobs until I'm the perfect candidate for this one particular job at this, you know, high stakes law firm versus no getting out there, practicing what it's like to be on job interviews, practicing what it's like, um, to, you know, be out there when it comes to like dating so that when you do have that person that is in alignment with you, that's right in front of you, you're ready to go. And so you're not going to be 100% um, perfect. You're not ever, never in life are you going to be perfect. But even when it comes to like weight loss or health, you want to at least start doing like trying to accomplish like 50 to 60, you know, 70% of like your goals so that one who you're getting in partnership with can believe you that that's actually something important to you. And that the universe can believe that that's actually something important to you because the way that you treat yourself and the way that you take care of yourself emotionally, spiritually, um, physically is how your partner thinks that you're also going to take care of them emotionally, physically, and spiritually. So I believe in like proving it through the behavioral changes and through the work, not just through the words or the wishes. And so allowing people to see like, look, I'm doing the work proves to them like, oh, I, I respect you. And I respect what you're going to be bringing to this relationship by you putting in that work. Yeah. This is never going to be 100%. Like that's impossible to be like, have the perfect body before you meet that person. Yeah. They're right. not going to be perfect. And nobody expects perfection. They just expect effort. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even just starting, I mean, it's like, you can feel so crappy, like you haven't worked out in forever because you were sick or on vacation or just out of it. But then that one day that you get in a really good workout and you have some nourishing food and you have some great conversations with people that build you up, you all of a sudden actually feel like you look differently in the mirror. I really, I think that that it just because you're taking the steps you know, and you're feeling good, Putting you look at yourself. First. Yeah. You look at yourself in the mirror and you see a different version of you after just even a day. Of oh, for stuff. sure. And, two, and I believe in like negotiation. <laughs> like last night I ate a bowl of Froyo and I was like, okay, in exchange for this Froyo, I'm going to put my butt on the treadmill tomorrow. And that's exactly what I did this morning. <laughs> I, like, <laughs> yeah. and I was proud of myself. I, was like, I treated myself, but then I also like gave myself this other thing that's healthy to counter that. Yes. yes. Followed it by an action. Now that's a great point. And I really, really love how you compared it to a job interview, Me which too. you just not apply to, just not apply to any job and then expect to get a job. Getting that practice is so important. And it's funny, my, um, fiance's younger brother is 10 years younger, but he's, you know, been in this year of quarantine. He recently moved out here. He doesn't know anybody. He's tried to do the dating app thing. He had a date recently that just went terribly with this girl. He, 
He admitted to us he drank way too much. He was late to the day, only mm. time for parking. He had been surfing that oh, day, no. working out, laying in the sun for five hours. So he was burnt. He was like, <laughs> he was just exhausted. So he was recapping this date and he's like, I don't know why she ghosted me. Like she didn't <laughs> respond. So we start, you know, we break it all down for him. He's like, oh, right. Yeah, I shouldn't have done that. I definitely shouldn't have done that, you know, and he's young, so he's learning, but he's going on another date tonight. Um, and again, this is like a second one since COVID, you know, because we're getting back out there again. Um, and that's something we wanted to ask you about. He's doing this date. He doesn't think he's going to be that into her just from their conversations, but he knows it's good practice, especially following the last one. So how do you help people gain some confidence going into these days when we've been on lockdown for a full year and we're just not even sure how to talk to someone? (laughs) So, okay. When we speak to confidence, right. Are we speaking to how we show up, how we communicate, how we behave? Let's get specific on like what we want to be confident about. Yeah. I mean, I think it it is hard because it's kind of twofold. It's like, you want to feel there's a social anxiety aspect of just literally not being around people face to face going back into the dating scene. And then I think, and so I guess it's more about just getting over that social anxiety and, and being able to step. And so maybe it's like, I kind of look at it as having some sort of a routine before you go into this date so that you do feel more confident, like a confidence routine, but I, I don't know. It's kind of twofold, I guess, but mostly. <laughs> okay. Overcoming that social anxiety, which is linked to, you know, that anxiety can hold you back with your confidence. Yeah. I think that preparation is key. So like making sure that you look good helps you feel good, right? Because how you present definitely shows how you feel on the inside. Just like your brother showed up tired because he went surfing all day and burnt. That's how he, that's how he presented on a date was burnt. So like, (laughs) (laughs) like making sure that you, you know, look and feel good. But when it comes to the date, the other element of preparation, I think, is communication. And so having questions in advance that you know you want to talk about and stories that you know that you want to share. So when you have questions that get someone to open up, you're able to feel more confident because you have your go-to conversation pieces so that it's not dead air, so that you don't feel also like it's a job interview because I don't want it to feel like it is a job interview per se. I know I used that example earlier, but that was more um, as a metaphor around the dating process, not how I want you want to your date to feel. I want your oh, date to feel yeah. more like it's a game show. Like, oh my God, what is this person going to ask next? They're so into me. I never know what the prize is going to be if I get this right. Like I want it to feel more like a game show, like fun, right? Like an activity in a game. And so when you have what I call spice breakers, which are icebreakers, but they're <laughs> spicy, when you have those in advance and you have these questions ready to go, you're able to like have fun with it in the conversation and then toss it back to them after they've answered and then continue tossing it back and forth. So it looks like you shared something and then you've inquired, then you shared something and then you inquired. And so you're going back and forth. So it's not dead air and you feel way more confident in that situation because you're guiding the conversation. And the person feels like you're super into them and you're super interested, which makes you feel good. And like you're in command of the conversation. So an example of some spice breakers, um, and I make all my clients do these for me, but an example of some spice breakers would be like, what's the best gift you've ever received as a child? Or what's the best compliment you've ever received? And so what's your fondest memory of your mom and dad? Or tell me about a story that you, what's some trouble that you and your bestie got into that you got away with? right? You're channeling high vibrating emotions for them by making them go to fond memories. 
they're sharing with you, they're sharing with you, making you feel as if, um, you know, they're opening up and then you're answering that same question in return, making them feel as if you're sharing and being vulnerable with them. So it gives you that confidence boost because you're not just guiding the conversation, like I said, but you're also feeling good because that person thinks you're really into learning about them. And that's what we don't really do on dates. We're more big on like how we present, not so much about how close we make that person feel. And it's that way that we make them feel when they're leaving the date that gets you that second date. Like, how did I make this person feel? And do they feel good about themselves now that they've spent time with me? If they feel good about themselves now that they've spent time with me, then you're more than likely going to get another date. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, my husband and I, we always buy these little like question games. So we'll go online and we'll look up like the couple's question. Yeah. You know, like the deck of cards. And so yep. when whenever we have date nights, especially like if we go wine tasting or we do like a date night at home, we pull those out and it honestly has kept our relationship so much more engaged and fun. And we're always learning new things about each other because I ask the most random questions that you wouldn't ever think to ask someone on your own. No, I absolutely love that. That's so good. Cause you still want to be building intimacy with your partner. Even when you think you know them as much as you may believe, there's always something to learn. Exactly. It's when we stop learning about each other and we stop studying each other and we stop researching one another that like things get boring. It's so like- I love that you guys are doing that. Yeah, it's when you see that couple like not talking to each other. Right. At the dinner table, like don't talk the entire time. And like like, I don't want to be them. (laughs) No. No. Yeah. And to and to that point about uh or for those that are in a relationship, as I was saying earlier, but perhaps with someone who is a narcissist or who isn't interested in asking any questions of them isn't interested in making the other person feel very good. It's just kind of there and is existing. How do people, how does someone who is in a toxic relationship like this really uh, discover or, or have that aha moment to know it's time to leave or this is also a heavier topic. So it's, um, I guess this is a whole episode. I know. I know. It's yeah. (laughs) How do you, I'm trying to think how to phrase this because it's also kind of plays into deal breakers too. Maybe a better question is more about how do you find in a relationship, how do you know what's a true deal breaker versus, you know, a lot of people have these kind of petty, petty things that they say are deal breakers, but aren't necessary, you know, aren't necessarily maybe as, as severe. Um, and so maybe that's a better place to start. How do you f- help your clients with that? Um, when they're questioning their relationship, what is really a deal breaker? A part of the curriculum that I give my clients is called a growth guide. And so that's like 60 pages of work, right? Of work that we do um, while they're dating and even before they get into the relationship. And so one of the exercises on there is them coming up with their deal breakers. And so majority of the time, like we don't have a clear, not just grasp on our deal breakers, but even action plan on how to apply them when they're broken. And so the deal breakers are your non-negotiables, the things that you cannot settle for or that you will not tolerate because they go against your core values, the essence of who you are, your moral compass, um, the, the way that you run and govern your life. Okay. Your deal breakers break these things. And you know, based on these deal breakers, you cannot be in a healthy relationship if these deal breakers are crossed. The problem is 
oftentimes people will even make this list of what their deal breakers are, but then not apply them when they get into a relationship with someone who makes them feel certain emotions Mm -hmm. that they are excited or they're passionate. And, you know, this guy's driving them crazy or, you know, this girl's making them chase them. And like, they're feeling all these flood of emotions, but the person is broken. They're deal breakers. And even though their communication is horrible or, you know, they've already cheated or they've already done, you know, whatever the person's deal breakers are, they stay with them anyways. They don't override their deal breakers. And you asked earlier, like, how do they have that aha moment? You know, it's not so much about the aha moment. Those moments come, the red flags are there that this person is um, not their purpose mate, or that this person doesn't make them feel better about themselves, but actually makes them feel lower. But we stay because the person is filling some type of void, right? They aren't giving us the love that we deserve, or they're not in alignment with our purpose. However, they're filling the void of loneliness. They're filling the void or our need of acceptance. They're filling the void of rejection. They're filling the void. So whatever these voids are that they're feeling that we're trying to overcompensate for, that person is giving us something. And whatever that something is, is more powerful than us overriding what's good for us or what's healthy for us. So we stay longer than we should. And we would hope that the aha moment would make the person walk away, but it doesn't. The person doesn't walk away until they've been hurt to the point where they can't be hurt anymore. Hmm. So it's not so much this aha moment as much as it is. I can't take this stress anymore. I can't take this agony anymore. (laughs) That's usually in my experience when we walk away where we've taken all of the agony that we can take, all of the burden, all of the pain, and we're like, enough is enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, in those situations, do you suggest that people take a period of time to be alone and rebuild their sense of self before trying to jump into another relationship? How do you approach that with, with clients? Yeah. I like to recommend that when you're going through a breakup or you're going through um, a loss, I think, I think of it like mourning the loss of a loved one, right? Cause a breakup is almost like someone died. Yeah. Um, when you're grieving, I believe that you should be taking time. I don't think that you should be using time as an excuse to not get back out there though. And those get a little muddled. Sometimes we're like, oh, I'm healing. I'm healing. You've been healing for three years. Like you're just afraid to date. (laughs) So oftentimes we start to use the healing or the like, I'm just dating me as an excuse to not get back out there. I believe that you can be going through um, your your breakup process and doing the healing work while at the same time discovering lessons about yourself and how you contributed to the relationship and what happened to your life and the role you played. And while you're learning those lessons and researching and unpacking all the things that made you make those choices, also deciding to date again. I don't think that it needs to look like six months to a year. I think that it can be a process of you doing that while you're dating as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I love that. And I also think that some people have getting back out into the dating scene or those who have been in the dating scene for a while, just app fatigue where they don't want to be on the dating apps or they use that as an excuse not to get out there. Like I don't want to apps. And so that's the only way to meet people. So what would you say to that? And like, what are some other tools that people can use? Okay. So Let's talk about app fatigue, right? Cause I, cause my clients oftentimes will too try to use excuses. Like I need a detox from the apps. Okay. What I specialize in and what I help my clients in oftentimes is like I told you communication. And usually when they're coming in for the first time, 
I'm reading their messages and seeing that they have it all kinds of wrong. Their profiles are all kinds of jacked up, not representing who they really are, but also who they're really trying to attract. And so when you don't have um, a, a profile that's in alignment with what it is that you want and you're not articulating that, and then you also don't have great communication in the messenger part, and you don't know how to engage and be as dynamic via text as you are in person, then you really lose your audience. And so we get this app fatigue because we're doing the apps wrong. It is not the app's fault. The app is giving us over a hundred people that we would never have access to in our normal every day because majority of us don't speak to strangers the way that we should. And so even for my women who are like, oh, dating apps don't work for me. Well, would you be speaking to those 50 people a day that you are getting access to on the apps in your everyday life? No, I'm not going up to men. Okay, let me get this straight. You're not going up to the one thing that you actually want. <laughs> so we're working against ourselves by like not making any effort. Most people don't make enough effort when it comes to actually like shaping their love lives or at least the role that they play in those. Um, and I oftentimes will tell people, like you should be doing at least one thing a day to serve your relationship goals. If you want to be in a relationship, what are you doing? You should be doing one thing a day to help you get closer to that goal. If you're not doing at least one thing a day, you don't want it bad enough. You just want it to fall on your lap. Yeah. What could be other things that people do other than being on an app to be like an action step for their day? Okay. So that's, let me reiterate. You first need to have a great profile and know how to communicate on there. The second yeah. thing, though, that, it, that that they need to be doing or they could be doing is activities, right? Getting back into hobbies that they enjoy and love. And people are using COVID as an excuse right now of not being able to do hobbies or activities. But a lot of people don't want to do the things that they love alone. And a lot of people are using this as an excuse to, like, isolate themselves and not get out there when there's a ton of other outdoor activities that they could be doing in settings where they can come across people. And majority of the time, we don't even do things as simple as smiling at the opposite sex or same sex, whichever you prefer, but we're not smiling. We're not smiling. And then people are like, oh, well, what about masks? I'm getting this a lot. What about masks? You can't smile under a mask. You absolutely can. You can smile under your mask because it then creates, makes your eyes smize. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and what happened to good old fashioned waving at someone and saying hello? Like sure. That's an open, open invitation right there to get someone's attention. And we're not doing that because we're so concerned about looking cool or, you know, what is someone going to think? They're going to think I'm so desperate that I said hello to them. So you would rather stay alone <laughs> than wave at someone. Like we're not, we're not really thinking about this from a logical point. We're thinking about this from an emotional point and we're super, super in our egos versus like the abundance mindset of what I like to think of is like, I welcome love. And in order to prove to the universe that I welcome love, I have open arms and I share that energy with other people. I connect with other people. Majority of us aren't connecting. We're not doing basics like smiling and speaking. If there's someone I want to talk to, I go right up to them and I talk to them and I instruct my clients and I teach my clients how to do the same. I would also say, you know, if you're not quite ready for a dog or you know, an animal, but you are open to like fostering an animal, like a dog. <laughs> any dog. I'm telling you, I'm married, but I've never met so many people in my life since getting a dog because it opens up this world of other dog owners and people who come up to you just for an excuse to pet your dog. And then you start talking, That's you know, That's such a great one. I love that one. But a lot of people are getting animals for companionship. 
so that they don't have to talk to people. Yeah. But But that's actually a good one because people who are real animal lovers connect so much. And even if you don't have an animal, you're absolutely right. Like it's such a great conversation piece and go to animal parks. Um, you know, like those little doggy parks and stuff, like so many men and women there who are single, ready to mingle. That's a really great one. So many eligible bachelors that I've told my girlfriends that are single. I'm like, I need your, your dating app or something because I meet (laughs) all of these like cute guys who are, who love their animals so much and are so conversational. I sat at the dog park for 20 minutes talking to these like amazing men. And I'm like, Oh, I wish my friend was right there. But you'd be a good get, get their get their info and then set your friend up later, okay? Oh, <laughs> I'm big on the referral system. <laughs> well, one thing that I was very curious about that you talk about is the difference between alpha and beta men and women. Because I've never heard someone talk about that before. Can you elaborate on that? And how do you know which one you want to attract? Okay. So one thing that we let's be clear when it comes to alpha and beta energy that I'm really speaking to feminine energy and masculine energy. And so um, alpha sits more in their masculine energy and alpha is going to be operating more from inner strength, responsibility, confidence, direction. He's going to be a very disciplined person, uh, a protector, courageous, right? That's the alpha man. A beta man is going to be more comfortable sitting in his feminine it doesn't mean he's a woman. When we speak about energy, it is not talking about gender. It's talking about energy. And we're all born with both energies. It's just which one you lean more into. And so a man who is a beta man is going to be more comfortable in his natural, like feminine energy, which is um, being loving, tender, emotional, kind. He's going to be more of a creative, um, a, more of a filler. He's going to be um, more nurturing and a more of a sensitive person. And so based on your energy as the person dating him, you have to decide like, do I want the alpha or the beta and not just what do I want, but which one am I compatible with? Because majority of us don't, because we don't um, work as much on self as I would like, which is why I have self in my program. Um, self is the most important thing. You have to know not just who you are, what you want, what you have to offer, but also what you're most compatible with. And how you operate and show up in the world and how you thrive and whom you thrive with. And so majority of us say we want this thing, right? I want this alpha man, or I know much better with beta man, but like, how do you function and how do you operate? And are you able to attract what you say that you're attracted to? Because majority of us will say, because alpha men has, have been more celebrated in this world. Majority of us will say we want the alpha man, but yet we show up as an alpha woman. And we don't know how to attract or keep the alpha man because we don't know how to sit in our feminine, which needs to balance his extreme masculine energy. So it's really about energy management and knowing not just what you want, but also what you're willing to do, right? What did I tell you about learning to say yes? And my program, it's about like, what are you willing to sacrifice or give up or negotiate in order to have what you want? And a lot of the clients that I deal with are these alpha queens, and I am an alpha queen that Mm -hmm. married an alpha king. But a lot of us don't know how to operate and pivot our energies because we deal with like so much needing to be in our masculine energy when it comes to like our workplace and being like, you know, badass, you know, boss bees that when it comes to being in our relationship, we don't know how to allow someone else to guide or lead us and sit in his natural masculine. And so when we don't know how to do that and we're not willing to sit in our natural feminine, 
then we usually are more compatible with uh, a beta man. If we want to sit in our natural masculine, we should be more with a beta man. Okay. I like that because it doesn't mean to your point that you, an alpha can't be with an alpha. I feel like that's how me and Thomas are, but we can be fiery. We can have these big, but we at least know how to work through it and have that balance of energy. So it's not that you have to be with the opposite type. You just have no. to have the balance of energy. Yeah. I don't believe you have to be with the opposite. Um, I think that that's some, that's rhetoric that's put out there. And I think that if you are a woman or a man willing to pivot and learn how to function with the sign that you are attracted to or the energy that you're attracted to, let me say that when you know how to function with that, um, you can still create compatibility in that. And you have to learn how to function no matter who you're with, whether you're with an alpha or a beta or, um, you know, a feminine or masculine, you know, even woman, you have to learn how to pivot with your partner, how to dance with your partner. And if you can't get that down, you're not gonna be able to be with anybody, beta or alpha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So either way, you got to learn. <laughs> yeah. Great point. I loved the episode with you and your husband, by the way. I listened to it. Oh, you did? <laughs> yeah. And I was telling Rye, there was a moment because I listened to it when I was driving over for another podcast we were recording last week. And I was like, oh my gosh, it was the sweetest moment when he was like, yeah, honey, you were in your wounded feminine. <laughs> I was just like, oh my God. <laughs> if I said that to my husband, he'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Well, yes. <laughs> <It was> so- <laughs> You're making me crack up right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> when, I, when I hear him use, um, you know, my program language or, you know, my beliefs, because our beliefs have merged and he like understands all of this. He actually helps me run, you know, the spicy life company. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> he's more behind, he's more behind the scenes. So when I pulled him on, you know, that episode, um, I love hearing, you know, him speak. But he's just like so used to being behind the scenes that oftentimes like I'll throw him, you know, in front um, and, you know, he rises to the occasion. So I definitely appreciate that about him. But he understood that. And we laugh and joke about it now where I was when we first started dating. Mm -hmm. Um, But we all go through those phases, even me being a relationship expert and magnetic matchmaker. I even can recognize um, periods in my life where I was, you know, coming short or falling short of what it is that I said that I wanted and was behaving in a way that didn't serve me. So I think that adds and like enriches the way that I'm able to coach my clients, but there's nothing they can present to me that I'm like, I've been there, done that. Okay. I have experienced this. I have lived it. Trust me. I'm, I've done, you know, I've made all the mistakes, so you don't have to, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I think it more as like a gift than anything. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely suggest our listeners go listen to that episode. It was wonderful. What do you remember the number of it or what number or what it was called? Oh what my gosh. It? I've had so many, I've had like oh. seven okay, episodes, we'll 10 episodes since then. I don't, I don't number my episodes. Um, but <laughs> yeah, we'll, plan <laughs> our well, well, we wanted to end by having you tell us about your spicy e-course, but if I could slip one last question in, I, because we did want to just touch on narcissists. Are you able to give us cliff notes of just, especially for those that are out there dating or looking for a mate, kind of what to be aware of or how to identify a narcissist? And can you successfully be in a relationship with a narcissist? Okay. So that's a loaded question. Um, I'll be giving you, <laughs> that is an episode. They should listen to my episode that I did on that as well. Um, okay. but some, some clear telltale signs 
is when you're dealing with someone who won't take accountability. You're dealing with someone who gaslights you and makes you feel like you are continuously in the wrong and that you're the person who's an emotional wreck or you're the person who's jealous or you're the person who um, is at fault when they have done something that you know doesn't serve the relationship or doesn't sit well. Mm-hmm. Um, a narcissist will also um, not just not take accountability and blame you, but they also won't be tapped in from a um, emotionally intelligent level to be able to articulate themselves or express their feelings and create a safe place for you to express yours. Mm. Um, they also will, um, have certain voids in their life that they're trying to fulfill and use maybe people things, um, as coping mechanisms so that they don't have to address the, the hard realities that they need to face. Um, it's also going to look like, um, them abusing your love and your care. And it's going to look like them, um, sometimes maybe even, um, verbally abusing or, um, hopefully not physical, but sometimes they do that as well and think that you deserved it or make you feel like you deserved it versus, um, treating you in a way that you know to be loved, but then they've convinced you that you're crazy for the things that you expect. So it's this constant continuous, like manipulation that goes on. Um, and the second thing you asked me was, um, can you, oh, can you have a successful relationship with any relationship? If there's someone who, um, you know, is maybe, um, dealing with, um, problems in the relationship or challenges that you guys are facing or personality disorders like narcissism, because that is something that has to be like diagnosed. We can't just go around (laughs) saying our partner's a narcissist when we don't have the medical professional, ability to be able to do that. I think that a lot of us like self-diagnose ourselves or our partners all the time. Um, but I think that with anything, when we do that, like you need to seek help, um, and therapy, right? So whether it's coaching, whether it's therapy, whether it's counseling, I think that in order for the relationship to work, you have to do something bigger than yourself. Cause oftentimes you're trapped in that relationship and you want it to work with that narcissist or that narcissist wants it to work with you but they oftentimes won't admit to being at fault for anything. So it's hard to get them help. So you can be in a successful relationship with them, but you guys have to be doing the work. What are you guys doing? Um, that's a part of your relationship goals to help grow the relationship or to make it stronger. Usually the narcissist won't admit to being at fault for anything or get the help that they need because they don't think that they need help. They think you're crazy. And so oftentimes it's hard for them until after you've left to do the the necessary work. It's not until they have to look at themselves in the mirror and they're like, hmm, I can't keep a relationship or hold it down or keep anyone happy. Maybe it is me at the end of it. Maybe there is something that I contribute to this. Let me go, let me go see counseling. Let me go see therapy. Got it. Thank you for boiling that down. That's an important one. Yeah, she literally just summarized (laughs) the relationship that we were talking about in the intro. Oh yeah, that was her former boyfriend to a T. But yeah. Well, <laughs> sorry, sorry for you. Sorry for you. I, yep. He's, a, oh, you, he's, a, he's an ex for a reason. He's an ex exactly. for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. I would suggest people run for the hills with that kind of a. Oh yeah. <laughs> but uh, we'll put all of your your link your episodes to these heavy topics that are hard to boil down so that people can continue to learn more. But we wanted to end by having you tell us about your spicy e course that you know you are promoting right now. 
Yes. So like, I appreciate this because this is the first time I'm rolling something out that's for the masses. I'm usually very exclusive in my one-on-one coaching, which um, is a luxury service, right? To get any type of relationship help, magnetic matchmaking or relationship coaching, that means that you're someone who's like ready to invest in yourself. And I cost a pretty penny because I have um, five consultants on my team, a romance astrologist, a marriage and family therapist, an image consultant, and um, of course me doing a relationship coaching and online dating um, expert. Like we all come together to transform your life. But this like program is usually 90 days, five phases of me taking you through self-passion, intimacy, communication, and learning to say yes. But that's only been one-on-one coaching this entire time. So what I'm doing now is rolling out my e-course where I'm giving you all of these like relationship tools, all of my fundamentals, all of my expertise in my SPICY phases of five, but it's over six weeks where I'm giving in a classroom environment, virtual coaching, and we're hopping on a Zoom call in a group setting and doing this. So I'm able to get more people in there at once versus like my other program, which was very one-on-one, my e-course allows um, opportunities for you to like grow in your relationship, but maybe you're not ready to like deep dive into the 90-day program. Now my six-week program gives you an opportunity to really work on like becoming more purposeful and learning about your masculine and feminine energy and how you show up and being able to attract your purpose mate at a more accelerated rate um, with, you know, in a group setting. And so I give the growth guide um, with that that helps in their process of self-discovery and it holds you accountable to like doing your homework, but then also showing up in class and sharing. And so it's, you know, it's, it's great. It's hands-on and you still get access to me. Um, and I hold you accountable for becoming the best version of yourself, but also having the relationship that you want, like making you make the behavioral changes that are going to serve your relationship goal. Wow. I can think of at least five people that I'm going to send the link to. Yes. (laughs) I'm running a special for it right now. So please send it. Um, the program for the six week um, e-course is 2000, but I'm offering 500 off right now to your listeners. Oh, wow. Um, they, can, they can take advantage of that special. Um, I'm only going to be running that special for a little bit while, while longer, but um, the code, the offer code is get spicy 500. Perfect. And it'll, it'll come down to $1,500 for them. Oh, that Great. is, oh my gosh, that they're going to walk away. I just cannot wait for people to take this course. I want to take the course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, thank that you. That would be so awesome. <laughs> thank you so much for all the time. We will share um, your Instagram, your website, all of that in our show notes. But um, we've learned so much today and really could have done this in three up in three different episodes. So, <laughs> yeah. oh my gosh, I love it. Thank you so much uh, for having me. Of course. How do people find you other than um, your website, but on your Instagram, what's your handle? Yeah. So you guys can always play with my Twitter or stroke my Instagram, as I say, at Spicy Mari, S-P-I-C-Y-M-A-R-I, or go to thespicylife.com. You guys can also listen to the Spicy Life podcast. Um, by all means, schedule a free consultation with me on the spicylife.com website um, or look to register in my e-course, the spicylife.com backslash e-course. Um, but like I said, even if you DM me, um, I would love for, I love for people to reach out. So that's always the best. Social media is always a great way to reach out to me or the website. Perfect. Amazing. Thank you so much. This has been incredible. Thank you. Okay, so you guys enjoy. Have a fabulous week. You too. Bye. Okay. Bye.
Wow. Well, you heard us trying to jam pack the questions in there because there was so much we wanted to talk to her about. We highly encourage you check out our show notes and tune into some of her episodes because there's so much value that she offers and hopefully check out that course if you're looking for love as well. And of course, if you've been enjoying these interviews and our new format, we'd love to hear from you. Click uh, rate, rate, review and subscribe and uh, let us know what you think. That really helps us grow. Yes. And remember, even if nothing feels right today, you tuning into this podcast and opening your mind is enough. Change doesn't happen overnight. Be patient, kind to yourself and good things will come. See you next time.